This is an ABC podcast. Pack. Are you going to a gig soon? Maybe a festival? I don't know, maybe you have plans to go clubbing or you're a DJ and you're doing a set. Or maybe you're just going for a walk and you're listening to your favourite podcast. Hey, maybe you're listening to Hack right now. Well, it turns out a lot of us are listening to music way too loudly and it's doing a lot of long-term damage to our ears. Hey, it's Dee Salmon with you for Hack, filling in for Dave Marchese. And don't panic, you'll find out how to prevent tinnitus and protect your ears a bit later on. Also in this episode, if you're pretty passionate about making a difference in the world, but you feel like you just have no idea how to help, you're going to hear from a youth advocate and consent lord, Chanel Contos, who's working on a new committee that you can be a part of. First up, though. Hack. In Australia, the cost of living is getting too expensive. Cost of living is hitting me right where it hurts. On Triple Jack. It's like living, but not. So last night, I decided to cook a stir fry because health. The meat costs $12, the broccoli costs $5, the capsicum, $5 as well, and the rest of the veggies and the sauce all together, it came to like $30. And if you're cooking at home, you're probably paying the same, right? According to new data from the Bureau of Statistics, the price of groceries at the highest they've been in years. So I want to hear from you. Have you paid an insane amount for something lately? Or maybe you've had to give up something for paying for food. 0439757555 is where you can text me. Right now, you're going to meet a couple of young people who are really struggling with the cost of everything that they've had to rely on food bank services. And one guy has even had to sell his car. Miles Holbrook Walk has this story. It's like living but not a life kind of thing, but with coming here, it allows us to have more of a life. Declan lives in Darwin with his mum and two sisters. He's one of 200 million Australians that's experienced food insecurity. He's at a warehouse that's filled with groceries that he can buy much cheaper than at your typical supermarkets. He says without food bank, his family would be in a dire situation. And then you realise that if you had to stop food bank, There's no way you can live because $30 doesn't go anywhere long enough for a family for a week kind of thing just for groceries. And I'm thankful that it's here, but it also has made me a bit dependent on the fact that it's here. Food is getting more expensive and it's literally everything you can imagine. Meat, milk, fruit and veg, bread. New data from the Australian Bureau of Statistics shows meat is 4% more expensive compared to this time last year, and dairy products are up 15%. And at this warehouse, which turns into a supermarket only once a week for just three hours, people are queuing up. This morning, there was about eight or nine families in front of us, and we got here at 8.20. 40 minutes before it opened and the queue was already nine families deep. Yeah, and when I say families, I'm meaning uh, about two or three people per thing, So, and they're shopping for their families, so that's like four or five people that they're shopping for at a time. What Declan says is also backed up by Jessica, who works for Food Bank and helps out on Saturdays to fill up people's trolleys. Honestly, every day there's at least five to ten phone calls of extreme circumstances where they do not have any food at all and they're just desperate and so upset. Ronnie Khan runs Oz Harvest, another organisation dedicated to tackling food insecurity. And she says across the country urgent action is needed. 
benefit, like increasing job seeker payments, as well as building more social and affordable housing. While the government has held off increasing payments, citing the economic cost, Ronnie says the cost of inaction is far greater. We're a rich, abandoned country. Look, if you consider that two million people, 300,000 families a day are not able to feed themselves, it's dire. So I don't see how this can be too expensive. She says the amount of people seeking help for the first time is going up and the charities that they support are also unable to help all the people coming to them for assistance. Our charity survey showed that 31% of people seeking food relief are new and they've never asked for food relief before. We now deliver to 1,900 charities across the country and over half of them say they cannot meet the current level of demand and they need more food. If you're not using services like Food Bank, it doesn't mean it's easy going either. Zach is currently taking time away from work to finish his degree and his partner is the sole income earner. He's at the shops to show us some of the decisions he's making every time he's at the checkout. What's changed for you in the way you go about things too? Definitely like the frequency of shopping. Like I'll try and do it once or twice a week instead of doing a big one. I'll go when there's sales and stuff on. Like a lot of young Aussies, Zach's facing the standard big issues. His rent has skyrocketed. His hex debt is about to jump by its largest amount ever too. Already he's made some pretty big decisions to save money to get through the year. Just sold my car to be safe to get us through the year and yes my partner works full time but I don't want to be too much of a burden. <laughs> and like most weeks it comes down to this moment. Zach's at the checkout looking over his goods and he's wondering what's this going to cost me? What do you think it's going to cost roughly? Oh I'm going to say near 100. <laughs> what would like this have cost you a shop like this this size cost you six months ago? Probably 50-ish, bit lower than that. It ends up coming to $107 for a shop that's really not that big. But Zach's not too down about it. He says they're managing to get by for now, but he knows they're only one emergency away from not being able to get by. Like if his partner fell ill, he'd have to give up his study. Even then, he points out he's lucky that he'd be able to go back to his old job something happened to her and then I had to go back to work I'd drop everything and go back to work so that we could live but you know that's a fortunate position for me to be in because I have something to go back to but if I didn't have anything and this is all I had you know if um, my partner did become ill we'd be <laughs> screwed a little bit hack on triple j Miles Holbrook walk with that story and I'm hearing from you as well on the text line on 0439757555 Miles from Perth saying totally not uncommon for two bags of shopping to be well over $150 of just veg and meat uh, someone else here saying Oz Harvest got me through a lot of tough times during uni it's an amazing and underrated resource yeah let me know if you're struggling with your grocery shopping or maybe your bills or your rent how you're feeling about the cost of everything at the moment and Speaking of rent, you've probably had yours go up recently or maybe you're struggling to find a rental that you can afford. Well, a new rental affordability snapshot has been released from Anglicare today and it's not great. Um, it found that there were no rentals in the country that were affordable for a single person on the government's youth allowance payment. And that also includes share houses, by the way, uh, and less than 1% of rentals were affordable for a single person on minimum wage. It's pretty hard to hear, isn't it? So let's break it down with Joey Maloney. He's a housing expert at the Graddon Institute. 
Hey, Joey. Welcome back to Hack. Hi, thanks for having me. Okay, so you've had a look at this report for us today. Are you surprised that no rentals in the country were considered affordable for anyone who is single and on youth allowance? No, it's it's not surprising at all. It's not surprising for anyone who's been watching what's happening in the rental market over the last year or so. We've just had this incredible tightening where there's just not enough houses for the amount of people looking for somewhere to live. And essentially what that showed up at is a really low vacancy rate. There's not a flow of new houses available to live in. And that means that rents are being bid up. So the asking rents that landlords are asking on new leases are up 10 to 15% year on year. Mm. So it's no surprise you look at that number and you look at stagnating wages or you look at the youth allowance payment, which only goes up with inflation, then it's no surprise that the rental affordability index is going in the wrong direction. How exactly does Anglicare work out what's affordable and what's not for young people? So the typical benchmark for housing affordability is are you spending more than 30% of your income on housing? That's the rule of thumb for housing stress. If you're spending more than 30%, you're stressed, it's unaffordable. Less than 30%, you're probably doing okay. So that's the, that's the benchmark and that's the benchmark that we're performing worse against than previous. So this snapshot looked at the whole of Australia. Were there states that were worse than others? There were, yeah. It's, the rental crisis is broad-based. It's happening all across the country. It's happening even in regional areas where it didn't really used to happen. But for this particular report, we saw the worst results in WA, New South Wales, the NT and the ACT in particular. The ACT's had ongoing problems with affordable housing, so it's no surprise that they're at the top here. The government has been facing heaps of pressure lately to increase the, the rate of these welfare payments, including youth allowance. Do you think this report will be enough to get them over the line? I don't think it'll be enough because we had last week the government's own Economic Conclusion Advisory Committee put out a report advocating for increases across the board in youth allowance and job seeker and these kind of things and the Treasurer was pretty quick to pour cold water on that. So I'm not sure. I mean, hopefully more and more pressure builds and something needs to be done, but in, these payments really, really do need to go up. And there's one, the, the Commonwealth Rent Assistance Supplementary Payment that goes to income support recipients. That's the one that really needs to go because that's the one that puts money in the pocket of poor people in the private rental market. Yeah, because we saw that open letter that was signed by 300 prominent Australians, including Labor backbenchers, right? That was something that recently happened too. Yeah. We're not seeing anything change. Um, this is Dee Salmon. I'm feeling in today on Hack for Dave Marchese and I'm talking to Joey Maloney about housing affordability and hearing as well from you on 0439757555 about your experiences. Uh, someone here saying, I had to choose between buying soy sauce and a tin of tuna to have with my plain rice for dinner. Uh, and Jesse from Brisbane saying, with many food allergies, it costs over $50 per grocery bag. Feeling thankful to be able to afford it. Blake from Brisbane, did you have to sell something to be able to afford your food and rent? Yeah, I sold um, three boxes of uh, Pokemon cards that I had for about four or five years. Oh, not the Pokemon cards. Not the Pokemon cards. Um, how much did you get for them? Uh, did all right in the end. I had about 200 bucks invested and got 1800 which got us through for a couple of weeks. Yeah. So was this because of um, what situation were you in, Blake? Was this because your rent went up or you just, you know, cost of living, Cosy lives just in general? Uh, a bit of both. I uh, had some medical issues with work, so I was having to have a bit of time off, um, which was definitely hurting the, the bills. 
Yeah. Blake, I'm so sorry to hear that. Thank you for sharing. On 0439757555, you can get in touch with um, your experiences and what you're going through as well. Joey, do we think that this trend is going to continue? Housing affordability for renting is going to get worse before it gets better? Like, what's the future looking like here for us? I think it will get worse before it gets better. I think the only thing that can really fix this is having more houses available for people to live in and Building houses takes time um, at, in the best of times, but now we've got the situation where construction is facing all these delays because of supply chain problems. So um, I think in the short term, we need to focus on getting income support to people who need it. And then in the long term, focus on fixing our housing market once and for all, because it's been, what we're seeing now is just the latest iteration in our housing crisis that's been going on for decades. Someone here says, boomers destroying the housing market, buying the sixth and seventh investment property is infuriating. Ask Joey, is this actually a thing or do young people just think this is how the housing market sits? Yeah, I'd love to know that because that's always my (laughs) go-to. It is a thing. It's probably not as big a thing as people think. So, you know, about 85% of the rental stock is owned by people who own three or fewer properties. So those kind of cases of people owning six, seven, they're rare cases. But I will say as a broad point, there definitely needs to be some evening out of the tax arrangements in the way we tax housing because it does incentivise investment in housing and it does favour investors above first home buyers. So we've proposed at Grattan rolling back negative gearing and halving the capital gains tax discount, which would go some way towards evening the playing field. A lot of these answers, Joey, are in the hands of government policy, people who have money. Is there anything more that you could recommend young people can do to make their situation any better? I'm always hesitant to pass advice to young people who have found themselves suffering at the face of policy fails by government. So my my focus in my work is always trying to tell government what needs to be done to make the situation better. And one of the overarching themes in our work is the intergenerational unfairness that's been baked into policymaking over decades. And so I'm really hesitant to tell young people, hey, there are things you need to be doing to fix your own situation. I'm focused on telling the government what I think they should be doing to help young people. Well, if anyone's listening, (laughs) you heard it here first from Joey. Um, Joey Maloney, uh, thank you so much for jumping on Hack with me today. Thanks for having me. That is Joey Maloney. He's a housing expert at the Graddon Institute. If we are going to build, you know, resilient, quality education systems, we can only do that if we listen to the voice of young people. On Triple Jack. If hearing about the cost of living has made you frustrated, maybe you're like, together with that and climate change and gender inequality and just the US, (laughs) and it just feels like as a young person, it's really hard to make a difference or advocate for change and actually change things in the world. Well, there might be a way that you can. And someone who I'm sure you've heard on Hack before is Chanel Contos. Over the past three years, she's been completely changing the cultural conversation around consent with her Teach Us Consent campaign. And today it's been announced that she's in a brand new role working with former Prime Minister Julia Gillard. Okay, it's kind of wordy, so stay with me. She's joining the Global Institute for Women's Leadership, 
which Julia Gillard is the chair and founder, and Chanel is going to be the chair of the Global Youth Advisory Committee. So basically, this committee will feed the thoughts, hopes, ideas and concerns of young people to the researchers and policy advocates at the institution. And she's here to tell us all about it. Um, Chanel, thanks so much for coming on Hack. Hi, Dee. Thanks for having me. Uh, Okay, so part of this new role, congrats, by the way, Um, very exciting. So part of this new role is to find opportunities for young people when it comes to gender equality. I'd love to get your take on what you think some of the challenges are that we're facing at the moment. I think an increasing challenge is the disconnect between young people and policymakers and the fact that these policies are being made now and they're seriously going to impact the lives of young people, you know, not just now, but in five years, in 10 years. And sometimes there's a aspect of a lack of involvement from young people because it feels as though it's too hard or too complicated or we're constantly getting dismissed and our voices aren't being heard. And then also sometimes, and a lot of the time, it's um, a dismissal from kind of the people in those like very structural positions of power. So I think starting to bridge that gap is a very important step forward in gender equality. And then also the current age of social media is obviously incredible because we can do things like create revolutions overnight, but then at the same time, very problematic ideas and fake information that can be very dangerous can also spread rapidly. I think we've seen that as well from the research that the Global Institute for Women's Leadership has done, right? They've they found that over half of millennials and Gen Z say that the promotion of women's right has gone quote unquote too far and is now actually just discriminatory against men. And I think, like you said, we are seeing this reflected hugely online as well with people like Andrew Tate, like men's right activism. What do you think the answer is when it comes to dealing with this idea that the fight for gender equality has gone too far? I think the answer is very complicated. I think that there's a lot of young men who then feel quite confused and lost as to what their role should then be. And then, you know, you're on TikTok and this very, you know, charismatic guy who drives 12 Porsches or whatever pops up in your feed and is telling you to do this thing or say this thing and like, no, that happens and feeds in these kind of misogynistic comments. It means that that's who lots of boys and men are kind of turning to as role models. And what that talks to is the fact that we don't have enough role models at the forefront of media and society and the Australian landscape that are emulating masculinity in a healthy way. Speaking of role models, Chanel, uh, former Prime Minister Julia Gillard is actually the chair and founder of the Global Institute for Women's Leadership, which is what you're now a part of. What does it mean to you to be able to work so closely with her? It's obviously an absolute honour, just kind of crazy because, I mean, I've said this to her before as well, that when I was growing up, I didn't understand the significance of a female prime minister, the significance of a first female prime minister at that point in history. And what Julia Gillard did for me, for my generation, for, for boys and for girls was we just grew up thinking it was normal for a woman to be prime minister. That was, and that type of like confidence, that intangible kind of like intrinsic wiring in our brain to like walk past the TV and see a prime minister leading our country. That's a woman. I like, we will never be able to measure that impact, but I know that it was absolutely phenomenal. And what I didn't understand at the time was the level of misogyny, the level of harassment, all of those sort of things 
that I, I truly think if that was happening today, there would be like riots in the street. But that is because she trailblazed it for other women who are in those sort of leadership positions. It's so true. Being a young person as well, you just remember her being in the leadership position and you don't remember this misogyny speech other than the fact that she was angry. And you're like, oh, why yeah, is sorry, she angry? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All the kind of commentary around it was just, I don't know, I guess it just went over my head. I will not be lectured about sexism and misogyny by this man. I and now we all know it off by heart. <laughs> I know, don't tempt me to recite it because I will. Uh, if you were just tuned in, you're listening to Triple J Hack and I'm chatting with Chanel Contos. You probably know her from, she founded the Teach Us Consent campaign and now she is joining the Global Institute for Women's Leadership, chairing the Global Youth Advisory Committee, which we're going to talk about in a section, L. But um, I do want to touch on the fact that we are seeing a huge backlash at the moment against queer and gender diverse and especially trans people, mainly in the US, but even here in Melbourne. I think actually yesterday there was a protest against a drag queen doing a storytelling event here in the city. There were hundreds of people trying to shut it down. Will you also be advocating in your new position for the LGBTQI plus community in your new role? Yeah, 100%. You know, it's a main part of the Global Institute for Women's Leadership to be as inclusive as we possibly can be and advocate for the human rights and equality of all. And then, of course, the progression of women's leadership is kind of, you know, in the title does some says on the tin that all of these things come into play. And also in terms of this committee that we're assembling, it is definitely a priority of ours to ensure that it is reflective of the experiences of as many Australians as possible. Yeah, if you are listening right now, and like Chanel said earlier, you feel like, you know, you're a young person and that disconnect between making change and affecting policy, you just feel like it's too far of a reach. So with this Global Youth Advisory Committee, this is something that's achievable, right? Like how can young people get involved and be a part of this team? Oh my God, it's so easy to apply. So that's what you need to do. The application's open today and they close on the 22nd of May. And all we're looking for is kind of a passion and a willingness to be involved and someone who feels as though they align with the mission and values of the Global Institute for Women's Leadership. Because a lot of a lot of research around leadership and women in leadership is often very kind of like neoliberal and corporate focused. And it's it's a type of leadership that isn't really a possibility for young people. You know, they're CEOs, they're directors, they're heads of companies. Of course, there's always going to be anomalies in that space. But young people show leadership in a different way, in a very impressive way, in my opinion. It's community action. It's, you know, leading things at universities. It's, um, you know, maybe being a manager of a supermarket, like whatever it is, young mom, all these different sorts of things. We want a variety of experiences and we basically want um, passion and the way that an individual person is showing leadership and whatever they do in their life. Chanel, it's always a pleasure. I usually chat to you on the hookup, but it's been so nice to chat to you today on Hack. Thank you so much for jumping on. Oh, nice to speak to you today, Dee. Thank you so much for having me. That is Chanel Contos. She is the chair of the Global Youth Advisory Committee. And if you want to sign up, you basically just have to be under 30 and sign up before the 22nd of May. And you can find a link on Chanel's Instagram. That's probably the easiest way because otherwise I'd have to say a whole bunch of letters and numbers and whatever. Um, She's at Chanel C and the link is in her bio. Hi. If you don't want tinnitus, listen up because these are the best earplugs for raves and music festivals. On Triple Jack. When you've been out at a gig, in the club or at a festival, have you ever felt a ringing in your ears? Like, it might actually just be a little bit too loud for you. 
could actually be doing a bit of damage to your hearing. Have you ever considered wearing earplugs? I don't know about you, but for me, I'm like, oh, that does seem a little lame. But it could actually help you prevent hearing loss. And plus, there's actually some cool ones on the market now. ABC Everyday reporter Rachel Raskar found out more. Music is the most important thing in my life and I would hate at this young age to jeopardise my hearing to the point that when I'm older I can't hear music. You might know Latifa T as your good night's host, but she's also a DJ and club goer where she's exposed to a tonne of loud music for hours at a time. To protect her hearing, she wears specialised earplugs, both when playing a gig and when out socially. I have forgotten earplugs before when I'm going out. I'd say, yeah, earplug use really makes a difference. Like, it's the difference between me having sometimes a headache, like a really bad headache after a show versus leaving the club and being able to speak at a normal volume instead of yelling, like, where's my Uber, you know? And while shouting at your friends after a concert is kind of seen as the norm, it doesn't need to be. Because experts reckon clubs and concerts are now the main cause of hearing loss. David McAlpine is the academic director of Macquarie University Hearing. He says your risk of hearing loss depends on both loudness and duration. So musos and bartenders working in noisy clubs every day have a pretty high risk. But even if you're only going dancing every now and then, you can do permanent damage on just one night out. Every three decibel increase, you have to halve the amount of time you can safely listen. And you'd say at a gig or a concert, you're probably safe for about 10 minutes max. And most people stay a lot longer than that. You've probably experienced that ringing in your ears after being in a loud environment. Dominic Power, a lecturer and clinical audiologist at the University of Melbourne, says tinnitus is a sign you've temporarily damaged your hearing. It might get back to normal in a few days, or it could stick around. If you're at a music festival, seeing hours and hours of incredible live acts, multiple days in a row, your ears ringing in between, you do increase your risk of permanent hearing loss. Back-to-back gigs, if somebody's pulling a bender over a weekend and going non-stop from club to club to club, then their ears are going to be much more um, damaged or potentially damaged than if they were going, you know, on a Friday, having a re- the rest of the weekend off and then maybe going um, to a, you know, a, a, another party on, on Sunday night. Giving your ears a break decreases your exposure, protecting your hearing. A break could be sitting somewhere quiet between acts at a festival, or it could be turning the music down a little at prees, or in your headphones on the way to a gig. But what about loudness? You can get some pretty accurate phone apps that measure sound levels. But Mr Power says you can also just tell from your own behaviour. If you're having to raise your voice quite a lot to speak to people that you're with, then that's usually just a, a good indication that that venue is too loud and you're going to need to put in some hearing protection if you can. So, hearing protection, earplugs, are an easy way to reduce the loudness of the noise you're being exposed to. You might have even seen those fancy plugs trending on TikTok. But if you want, you can just use those cheap foam ones from your local chemist. They'll still protect your ears. They'll just give you a different quality. So they tend to take out the high frequency sounds, which leave a very muddy, dull, roomy, kind of muffled sound quality when you actually have them in. If you are going to use foam earplugs, don't just shove them into your ear. They need to be in nice and deep. Having the correct insertion technique is really important for the earplugs. So squishing them up nice and skinny, 
pushing them deep in the ear and holding them in until they expand and grip to all of the, the curves in your ear is, is how they are used properly. The more expensive earplugs you may have seen online tend to have acoustic filters in them, which try to make that blockage of sound a bit more even. When you go into a gig with a better quality earplug in, it's like you've just turned down the master volume on the mixing desk or on the mixing booth. So the sound quality tends to be a lot better. But overall, the best option for you is just whatever you find the most comfortable at a sound quality you're happy with. That way you'll actually wear them and keep them in. You might be thinking, hey, I'm in my 20s, why should I care about this? Well, the thing is, you may have already lost a heap of hearing. And that's why Professor McAlpine recommends getting a hearing test. We don't check our hearing. And so we don't quite have an idea what we're supposed to hear. Even if you have been raving for ages, it's not too late to protect the hearing that you have left. Because damaged hearing isn't just about noise sounding quieter. You'll also hear less detail. Music is distinguishing different sounds from each other. And so if you say, well, I'm going to continue damaging my hearing, you will less and less be able to distinguish notes from each other and all sorts of things that are important to you in music. Damaging your hearing is irreversible. There is no going back. And earplugs are a cheap and easy way to protect that sense. For Latifa, it's a no-brainer. Presumably, if you're a person going to a concert or a club, you're going because you love music. And if music is a central part of your life, as it is mine, then perhaps it is time to consider protecting your eardrum so that you can continue that connection and that appreciation of music long past your early 20s or 30s. Hack on Triple J. Right there is ABC Everyday reporter Rachel Rasker with that story. But Latifa T actually ended it and she's here with me now. Latifa, hello. Hey, Dee. How are you going? I'm good. I'm good. Okay, so you really talked some sense into me. I <laughs> need to know, have you had a hearing test? I actually haven't had a hearing test. I'm overdue for one. Just listening to that package there, I thought, dang, I've got to book one in because I'm just around loud music all the time, every weekend, and I hope my earplugs are working, but I'm not too sure. That's how I feel. I feel like I've done the eye thing, so I'm like, okay, I'm going straight (laughs) to get my hearing tested next. And I'll catch you next time. Bye. Hack on Triple Jack.